Hello, and welcome to the Pursuit City Church podcast. Our mission is to lead people to know the love of Jesus Christ. Our prayer is that you will feel encouraged as well as challenged through the Word of God. If you need prayer or want to share your story, please send an email to info at PursuitCC.com. Get ready to enjoy this message. God bless. He was led by the Spirit in the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing all that time and became very hungry. Then the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. But Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone. Then the devil took him up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them, the devil said, because they are mine to give to anyone I please. I will give it all to you if you will worship me. Jesus replied, the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem to the highest point of the temple and said, if you are the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect and guard you and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. And Jesus responded, this Jesus, you must not test the Lord your God. When the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him until the next opportunity came. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for the message that that is coming this morning. Thank you for open hearts and open minds. Lord, we pray that it it cuts deep. We pray that it, it does its work. We pray that it renews and restores and refreshes us, Father God. We ask you this morning that your presence would just be in our midst as we learn more and grow more in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, worship team. Y'all give them a hand this morning. Thank you, guys. So, It is obvious with everything that's going on in our nation that things are a little chaotic, things are a little strange. And so somebody asked me, said, hey, when are you gonna talk about the image that's on the screen? Because it's, uh, it's a little different, right? How many of you noticed that there's something different about the image? Yeah, about half of us, right? And so I got a bunch of questions. I said, don't worry, don't worry. I'm gonna, I'm gonna talk about it. In case you didn't catch it the first week. What is wrong with the flag? It's upside down. That was definitely on purpose. You see, we were talking about last week all the chaos in our nation, all the turmoil, all the dissension, all the fear, the issues that are going on. Whenever you see the United States flag upside down. It's not a sign of disrespect. It's a sign of distress. It's a sign that there's danger. And so this was intentional. Now, I would not go as far to fly my flag upside down, but in the image, I wanted to make a point that things are not how they used to be and things are not okay. Things are not comfortable anymore. In fact, I dare to say that people have talked about this point in time for a long time. And a lot of those people are now saying, ha, you see, I told you so, right? (laughs) Anybody know who I'm talking about? And what's so interesting to me is that 
there are still plenty of us, still plenty of us in the church, still plenty of us in the world who are believers who think, ah, it's going to be okay. It's just another president. Look, man, honestly, it really doesn't matter who's in the White House. The Bible is very clear that God moves the hearts of kings. He uses whoever he wants to use whenever he wants to use them, right? But what does matter is our response to what goes on in our world. What does matter is us. Who do you think is more important to our nation? Someone who's temporarily in that office or someone who for their entire life should be proclaiming a message? See, I believe that the body of Christ is more important than any election. That the body of Christ is more important than any president. That the body of Christ is more important than anyone who has a title in the White House. Do they make policies that affect us all? Absolutely. But like we learned last week, we are not of this world. We are the aliens. We are the ones that don't belong here. We are not people who should be concerned with what happens to us because of the message of Jesus. Does that mean we don't fight for justice? Absolutely not. We, of course we do. Does that mean we don't stand up for the truth? Absolutely not. Of course we do. And I encourage you to do so. Uh, like I said last week, I am someone who believes in in our country, I'm a patriot. I'm someone who believes in things that should be done right and should be ethical. But at the end of the day, we have to understand that we give our best output and we leave the results up to God. Just like anything else, any relationship, your job is not to change the other person. The reason why is because you really can't. Your job is to help change you. And if you change you, if you become the image of Christ that you're supposed to be, your influence begins to change everything around you. And so if we really want to see change in our country, maybe we should start in the mirror. Maybe we should start with ourselves. And so this image is very clear because the one thing that's not upside down is the Bible. So you have the, the American flag. This is the international distress call. This means that there is danger. We are in distress. We are in trouble. And that's all I'm portraying in that image. But in front of that, we have the word of God. Because the word of God is the answer. The word of God is the solution. The word of God is the answer to all the struggle and problems that we're facing. We have to understand that everything, every answer we seek, everything that we're trying to understand and solve, everything is found in scripture. I don't care how stupid some of the policies are. Every answer is in the scripture. And if you don't believe me, try reading it more. And so what's interesting to me is what's happening to Jesus here in Luke 4. This was after Jesus was baptized 
and the Holy Spirit came down and God spoke from heaven and everybody saw it, everybody heard it. They literally heard the audible voice of God. Go look up Luke chapter three and you'll see where everybody's like, whoa, we just heard a voice from the heavens. We just saw the Holy Spirit come down. Everybody witnessed it, they heard it, they knew exactly what was going on and it was spoken very clearly who this man was. But in chapter four, we see that the enemy comes and he begins to what? He begins to tempt Christ. He begins to challenge him. He begins to ask him questions. He begins to pose opportunities for him to mess up and trip. And so the first thing that we see that the enemy does is he tempts Jesus's flesh. He tempts what is natural about him. He, he tempts what is human about him. You gotta remember Jesus was fully man and fully God. He was he, flesh and bones like you and me, but God filled on the inside. And so the first thing that the enemy did was he attacked his flesh. He tried to see, is he really strong in the flesh too, or is it just spiritual? So he started with the flesh. He said, if you're hungry, turn this stone into bread. This is a formula that the enemy attacks us with. You gotta remember, his tactics don't really ever change. And so whenever you are struggling, go back and say, where did I miss it? Was it with my flesh? Or was it with the next one? Where the enemy tempted Jesus's worldly desires, right? The desire for power. Hey. Let me take you up here. Let me show you all the kingdoms of the world. I own all the kingdoms and I can give them to whoever I want to. If you just worship me, I'll give you the kingdoms of the world. And that is that power. And unfortunately, a lot of our politicians have fallen into that category. And they desire the power. They hunger for the power. They may go there with the right intentions, but after a while, the corruption that's around them begins to seep in and that power that they're given ends up becoming the issue that they struggle with. And every man has a limit to the temptations they can deal with with their flesh and the temptations they can deal with in their worldly desires and the power that is presented to them. So you ask yourself, is, is that something you struggle with, right, in that formula? And then there's the third one. When the enemy came to him and said, hey, why don't I take you to the top? He just said it, fly, jump off. The angels will catch you. The Bible says that even, he even threw, check this out, the enemy even threw the scripture at Jesus. He quoted, check it out, in verse 10. He said, for scripture says, this is the enemy talking. For scripture says, he will order his angels to protect and guard you and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Have you ever had the enemy quote scripture to you to tempt you. Or better yet, have you ever heard someone worldly quote scripture to you to try and argue with you? This is the tactic of the devil. He will use anything. He will even use the Bible. 
<laughs> Interesting, right? How the enemy will try and use what's convenient for his purposes. But Christ and his response is very simple each and every time. You see, this one, the enemy tested Jesus on a spiritual level. The enemy tested Jesus with his own faith, with his own belief, with his own understanding on who he believed he was. <laughs> so think about that formula for a second. When you are tempted, when you are struggling, where did you miss it? Did you miss it with your flesh, with the basic needs of your life? Did you miss it with the desire of life, with power? Or did you miss it with your faith and how steadfast you are? See, we all fall into one category. The question is, what is your response going to be? Here's an interesting, another interesting question. If you notice everything we read, before the enemy asked Jesus to do something, he would often say it like this. If you are the son of God, then do this. If you are the son of God, then do this. If you are the son of God, then do this. Why is that important? Why is that peace right there so valuable? You see, it goes all the way back to the beginning. When Adam and Eve were told clearly what to do, what not to do, what to eat, what not to eat, where to go, where not to go. Good and evil, the option is yours, the choice is yours. If you do this, you'll be fine. If you do that, uh, yeah, not good. And the enemy comes, and the way that he deceives Eve is by posing a question. Right? He comes to her and he says, but if you do this, if you eat this fruit, you will be more like God. If you chew on this, you will become more like God. If you take of this, he poses this question and it's so subtle. See, oftentimes we believe that the enemy comes, you know, like this big fierce monster and He's loud and roaring and all that stuff, but often it's very subtle. He throws a hint of doubt. He throws a question in there. He throws a what if in there. He throws a if you are this or are you that. He throws these ideas in there because they slowly begin to simmer in our mind. And he's trying to find the weak point are we weak in our flesh? Are we weak in our desires? Or are we weak in our faith? That is what he's trying to find. So he comes to Eve and he says, if you eat of this, interestingly enough, it's the same temptation he gave to Jesus. If you take this stone and turn it into bread, he appealed to her natural side. He appealed to her human side and she failed on the first try. She was hungry apparently too. I think I have that problem. But what was the problem with that question to Eve? 
if you eat this, you'll be more like God. Well, it's very simple. She was already like God and she had a doubt in her mind simply because he asked the question. And so here he comes to Jesus and he says the same thing. If you are the son of God, then do this. And he's like, wait a minute. Didn't you just see what happened at the Jordan River? Didn't you just see the spirit come down? Didn't you hear the audible voice that said, this is my beloved son and who I'm well pleased? Did you not hear that when he called me his son? Of course, I'm the son of God. The devil knew this. The devil heard that. The devil was there, but guess what he did anyways? He still tried to question his legitimacy. He still tried to question his authority. He still tried to question his identity. And if the enemy comes to question the identity of Christ, what do you think he's going to do to you? It's the same tactic. Nothing has changed. Everything is very meticulous. It's very subtle, but it's very much the same pattern. The question, the question that was posed to Eve was to question her identity, who she really was. Was she like God? Was she, was she not like God? She didn't even understand what the question was. And there she goes, eating into that fruit. Then you see the second Adam, Jesus, coming in, restoring what was lost in the garden by refusing and rejecting the temptations of the enemy. The second Adam, Christ, actually got it right compared to the first Adam. Y'all following me this morning? And so here in the book of Luke, we find in verse 14, what happened after the encounter with the enemy. It says this in verse 14, it says, then Jesus returned to Galilee filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Reports about him spread quickly through the whole region. He taught regularly in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. He said, because this is the very reason he set out to do his ministry. He set out to do one thing. He set out to preach. He set out to heal. He set out to restore. And if he would have been tripped up in the wilderness, we would have never heard the name Jesus. If the enemy would have tripped him up in the wilderness, we would not be talking about him today. You see, the enemy wants to censor you. How does he accomplish this? He does it slow. He does it subtly. He gets you to trip up. He gets you to fail. He gets you to fall. He gets you to sin. And then the sin that is there, if you don't reveal it, is hidden. And then because of the hidden sin, you begin to develop this thing called shame and guilt and regret. And if you don't deal with those things, then guess what happens? You stay silent. 
You stay silent. You don't share about the wonderful joy that it is to serve Jesus. You know why? Because you're dealing with all this shame, this guilt, this doubt because of one thing he did because he tripped you up with his methods that he uses on everyone in the world ever. And if you don't deal with those things, he'll censor you by convincing you that you're not good enough. He'll censor you by convincing you that you are not worthy to share about Christ. He'll convince you that you're not worthy to share the word of God. You're not worthy to share the truth of the Bible. He'll convince you over and over and over because he'll just point out everything that you're not and question everything you try to do and say, hey, but what about this? And what about that? If this, if that, what about this? What about that? Are you hungry? This is the enemy's tactic. And so the enemy tried to censor Christ, but he couldn't. He couldn't censor him because Christ knew exactly who he was. He knew exactly what his mission was. And guess what? He can't censor you either if you know who you are. And if you know what your mission is, the enemy is only able to censor you if he can get you to stop believing in who you are. If you've questioned this lately, if you question your validity, if you question the truth of who you are, if you've questioned your faith, welcome to the club. God did not call you to come to be perfect and to show everyone how perfect you are. He called you to rescue you and clean you, to restore you, to use you. And he will use you in the midst of your circumstance. He will use you in the midst of your struggle. But he'll only use you if you choose to be used. He'll only use you if you choose to open your mouth. There was once a prophet in the Old Testament. God told him to go over here and speak to these people. And he refused. His name was Balaam. You know what Balaam was doing? He was charging people to prophesy. Sound familiar? And then God decided to actually speak to Balaam. And he actually heard God's voice. He's like, wait a minute. That's actually God's voice. And God said, I need you to go do this. He said, no. You know why he said no? Because he didn't believe in himself. He knew his corruption. He knew he was unfaithful. He knew he was unworthy. And because he had done it so long, he never thought God would ever speak to him again. He said, it's okay. I still need you to go and prophesy over here. I need you to go tell these people. And he refused and he refused. So guess what Balaam or, or God did to Balaam? God used his donkey. Where do you think they got the idea for Shrek? in the Bible. Eddie Murphy. God used his donkey to talk because the donkey wouldn't move 
And Balaam was like, you need to go. He's hitting him. He's like, move, go. You know, you ever had a dog like that or something like that? They just wouldn't. The, the donkey wouldn't move. And then God opened the mouth of the donkey and Balaam heard it. He said, look, dummy, I can't move because there's an angel in front of me. And Balaam goes, oh. <laughs> okay. God had to get his attention somehow. Don't wait for God to use your donkey before you start responding. You following me this morning? Balaam forgot who he was. He believed who he thought he was. He believed that he was not worthy. He believed because of his deception, because of his corruption, because of his sin that God would never speak to him again and God wouldn't love him again and God wouldn't be with him. Then it so was untrue even in the Old Testament, even as much judgment as Balaam deserved, God still chose to talk to him. Listen, we can only do what we are capable of. A lot of times I feel like people get saved, they become Christians, and they start to think that they're going to do the signs and wonders themselves. <laughs> that they're going to be, you know, the ones that actually raises someone from the dead. Or they're going to be the one that actually does the miracle. It's God that does it, right? And so I feel like a lot of people come to Christ and they get excited and they start to serve and they think that they're the ones that are supposed to do all this. No, no, no. You're just supposed to be obedient. You're supposed to do what you're capable of. You're supposed to grow. You're supposed to learn. You're supposed to mature. But in the process, you can only do what you're capable of. No one is asking you to split the Red Sea. We might ask you to pray for it. But it's God who does it. It's the Holy Spirit within us that does it. It's not us. We can only do what we're capable of. We are not called to take ourselves to new heights. We are not called to do all of the miracles ourselves. We are called to be obedient to his word. And the Bible says, his word says that signs and wonders follow those who believe. They follow the believer. We've talked about this. You don't chase the miracle. You chase the miracle giver. And in the process, the miracles follow. You don't chase the outcome. You chase the outcome giver. You chase him. Y'all follow me this morning. We are called to be obedient. And ultimately, we are called to be dependent on him. See, this is the part I think we miss. Some of us, and I fall into this category, when we get excited about something, we believe we can do something, we think we can do it all by ourselves. And I got this, and whew, I can do this, and man, this is, I, I got it. I'm able, I'm capable, I can do it. It's me. I'm strong. Anybody know what I'm talking about? 
And so we start piling our plate with all this stuff that we think we can handle. We start, we start filling it up. We, we think we can do this. We think we can do that. And what we find in the process is we hit wall after wall, but we keep going because that's our nature, right? Some of us, that we see a wall and we just say, who? Because we have this strong, meanwhile, our legs falling off. I can do this. Meanwhile, our other arms falling off. Like we keep going because we have this strong will mentality. That's some of us. Uh, uh, others, they won't even get up out of the chair because they're too worried about what might happen. <laughs> and so you fall into one of those two categories, or maybe you're that person that's just kind of slow and steady, you know? But regardless of what your personality type is, regardless of who you are, regardless of whether you're a doer or whether you're a watcher, whether you're just kind of in the middle, regardless, we're all called to be the same thing. We're all called to be dependent. And people like me who don't wait on anybody or anything, we have a hard time being dependent on God because we, we say this often, I got this. <laughs> what we really need to say is he's got this. And I think the older I get, I'm old, y'all, I'm getting old. Uh, the older I get, some of y'all laughing, y'all don't even know. The older I get, I realize how much more I need to lean on him and how much more I need to depend on him and how much more I need to be obedient to him. We are not called to perform the miracles. We are called to be obedient and dependent. And if we can learn to be obedient and dependent, anything's possible. You follow me? In verse 16 of the book of Luke, chapter 4, it says, When he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah, the prophet, was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where this was written. Verse 18. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. For he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives be released, that the blind will see, the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. All eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. Then he began to speak to them. The scripture you just heard has been fulfilled this very day. Everyone spoke well of him and was amazed by the gracious words that came from his lips. How can this be, they asked. Isn't this Joseph's son? <laughs> this is important because this was his hometown. This is where he grew up. This is where they knew him. This is where they knew his mom. They knew his dad. They knew his brothers. And they knew when he messed up. They knew when he did this. They knew when he did that. Or they knew when he just went missing and they was teaching everybody in the synagogue for a week. And they couldn't believe that he said what he said because they seen him grown up. They couldn't believe that he would proclaim that he was the one that Isaiah prophesied about. They couldn't believe that he was God. Then he said, you will undoubtedly quote me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. 
meaning do miracles here in your hometown like those you did in Capernaum. But I tell you the truth, no prophet is accepted in his own hometown. Certainly, there were many needy widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the heavens were closed for three and a half years and severe famine devastated the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them. He was sent instead to a foreigner, a widow of Zarephath in the land of Sidon. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, but the only one healed was Naaman, a Syrian. His point was, you are too familiar with me. Therefore, you have a hard time believing in me. So often... The prophet gets sent somewhere else because they're not, their judgment isn't clouded by watching them grow up. They just know they need God's miracle and they can believe. Shame on us for trying to do anything that would require us to look somewhere other than God's word. This is what they did. They looked at Jesus, they heard his message, but they still looked at the boy they saw raised and they said, no, that can't be, that can't be God. He can't be real. Do we do this? Do we judge a book by its cover? Absolutely. Do we judge a miracle by its cover? Do we judge a promise by its cover? Do we judge a prophecy by its cover? Do we judge an instruction from God by its cover? Absolutely. And so because we do this, we look elsewhere we look beyond the word of God to try and get our answers. Guess what? You can't look anywhere except the word of God to get your answers. There is no other source of truth. There are plenty of sources of facts, but there is no other source of truth. And there's a difference. The fact might be you're sick, but the truth is you have a healer and he wants to heal you. The fact might be you might be broke, but the truth is he wants to bless you if you become obedient to his word. The fact might be you're hurting on the inside, but the truth is he wants to restore the brokenhearted just like we read. You can get your facts anywhere you want, and they can fact check and fact check all they want to. But the truth is the word of God is the only source and the only answer book. And you can't censor the truth. You may be able to censor the facts, but you'll never be able to censor the truth. Are you following me this morning? I don't know. Sin causes us look somewhere else other than God and his word we start saying things like I think I can fix this let me go over here and try this I think I can correct this about myself let me try and go over here and, and get some of this and we start because we're we haven't addressed our sin we haven't addressed our shame we haven't addressed our failure we start to go somewhere else to get answers anybody know what I'm talking about Anybody been there? 
or is it just me? We, we try to go to something else to gratify us or to soothe our pain. We go to something other than the word of God because that hurt too much. So I need to go over here to find something to numb that pain. I need to go over here to find something that'll cure that issue, to, to fill that void. We go somewhere to fill the things that we think can be filled with something other than God and his word. The truth is the only thing that can fill the void. Because the truth is alive. Quit falling asleep, computer. See, here's something interesting. Our world demands certainty. Our world demands proof. You talk to someone who's extremely educated, you talk to them about the gospel, you talk to them about the word of God, but they want certainty that God's real. They want proof positive that God's real. They want to touch him. But it's just like God to do it differently, right? Instead of proof, God provides a promise. And instead of certainty, God provided Christ. We don't need proof that God is faithful. We simply need to trust him. If you're in this room and you're one of those people that you need proof before you can put your trust in God, I'm telling you, you don't, you don't get that. <laughs> you don't get the answers to the test before you take it. That's not how this works. The true test of a man's character is to put his trust in God and depend on him and watch God be faithful. We can't simply measure God down to some sort of formula, some sort of fact, some sort of little piece of information that confirms that he's real. No, 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 no. We have to put our hope and trust in Jesus. We have to put our faith in him. How do you fix your faith problem? You have faith again. You put your trust in him again. How do you fix trust issues? You trust again. Let's finish this story. In verse 23, he says something very interesting. I'm sorry, in verse uh, 25. Oh, we read that too. In verse 28, there it is. We read everything that he said. We read about the prophecy he proclaimed. He said who he was. He proclaimed that he was 
fulfilling that scripture that he was Jesus. He talked about not being from that town and they believed him and bring from his hometown and they wouldn't believe him. And in verse 28, it says this. It says, when they heard this, the people in the synagogue were furious. Jumping up, they mobbed him and forced him to the edge of the hill on which the town was built. They intended to push him over the cliff, but he passed right through the crowd and went on his way. This is the first time that Christ declares who he is. This is the first time we see him proclaim a prophecy about himself. This is the first time. And in his own hometown, they tried pushing him off the cliff for it. Think about that for a second. He starts his ministry. Everybody loves him. But the moment he reveals his identity, they want to kill him over it. They want to censor him. They want to shut him down. And just imagine being pushed to the edge of a cliff by a crowd. You've got nowhere to go. And yet, he finds a way to slip through. I wish I had those powers. <laughs> Could just disappear. What were they doing? It's what they do today. It's a mob mentality. We don't like what you said. Let's shut you down. Share one thing that proclaims the truth in the word of God. And it's seen as hate speech now. It's seen as some sort of way to divide people. No, no, no. We're, we're just telling you what the Bible says. And you can't even do that anymore without some sort of backlash. I'm telling you this morning. You can't censor the word of God. And you can't censor someone who truly preaches the word of God. He has called us to preach, every single one of us. It doesn't mean you have to have a microphone in your hand or be on a stage, but he has called you to preach somewhere, whether it's to your kids if you're a stay-at-home mom, whether it's at your job site when you're working, whether it's at the office Whatever it is, you are called to preach. You are called to share the gospel. You are called to proclaim the truth. Every single one of us, we have the same responsibility. We are equal. You hear me on that? I'm not better than you. I'm just better looking, you know what I'm saying? I'm not better than you. I'm just the one that God gave the microphone to. 
I'm just the one trying to kick you in your butt. Say, come on, let's go. He has called us to preach. He's called us to proclaim, but he's never called us to be quiet. He's never called us to be censored. He's called us to be bold. And if we can't be bold about the Jesus we serve, then what are we doing here? And what's the point? We have to be bold. We have to be willing. We have to be obedient and we have to make ourselves available. We have to be faithful to him. Y'all hearing me this morning? Worship team, I'm ready for you. You see, I believe this. I believe that in all that we do, we have to focus on what's most important. We can never make the gospel a secondary aspect of why we gather. We can never make the gospel a secondary reason of why we serve God. The gospel is the primary reason. The word of God is the primary reason. The word of God is the truth that sets us free. In John 1, 1, we read about Christ and we read about the relationship between the word and Christ. And what we discover is that the word is Christ and Christ is the word in the flesh. And so if we don't value the word, then what we're saying is we don't value him. <laughs> Some of you, you get guilty when you don't read the Bible. Somebody laughed, that means they weren't reading the Bible last week. Who is that person? Some of us, we get guilty. We don't, we don't read enough, we don't study enough. For most of you who do that, you say things like this, well, I don't understand it. I don't get it, or it's boring, <laughs> right? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Nobody wants to raise their hand on that one. It's okay, it's okay. I, I see you, I see you. We start saying things like this. We start believing that it's really not that important to pick up his word, right? But I'm telling you right now, one of the most beneficial things you can do for your spiritual life, what you can do for your faith is to dive deep into his word. You see, I believe we all like the idea of revival. They, they said they were singing this song and I said, oh, that, that kind of fits with what I want to say because we all like the idea of revival. We all like the idea of, you know, this amazing time and this amazing worship and people getting saved and people getting healed and all these things that are awesome. If you've ever been a part of a real revival, you know what I'm talking about. It's a great time and it's exciting and it's, it's loud, it's intense. 
because it's very much just come and enjoy, come and partake and, and come and, and, and let things just kind of grow in you, you know, uh, it doesn't require too much energy. It just simply requires your, your participation. But man, I really feel like God wants to bring a revival of the truth. And the revival of the truth requires our participation. It requires our involvement. You see, I've been hungry before for revival in a sense where we have amazing times of worship and, and all those things. And it's awesome. It's life-changing. I am where I am today because of moments like that. But here's what I found. After going to experience those things, after, after experiencing those moments where I felt God just in an instant cover me. I, I remember being in one church in Alabama and I would lay there just as they would just play and they would play for hours and I would just lay there and I would hear just God whisper and I would feel his presence. And I remember leaving those services and thinking, so what now? Because you gotta go to work, right? <laughs> you, you gotta go feed your kids, right? You gotta go change diapers, right? <laughs> like you gotta go back to life. So what now do I, do I, how do I live like that? How do I stay like that? And then what I realized is God doesn't want us always on our face, but what he wants is to see our face. And what I realized after going to enough of those meetings and spending enough time on the floor and spending enough time in the music, God started to say, now it's time to open up my word and let me speak to you. Because now that I got your attention, there's another level, there's, there's growth to this, there's the next step. And I feel so many of us get stuck in one place. If you're the person that walks into the church and the, the, the largest measure of your worship encounter is lifting your hands, it's fine. And there's some of us, the largest measure of us experiencing God is just sitting there, that's fine. And then there's, you know, crazy people like me where I'll do a cartwheel if I could pull it off but I can't pull it off no more. I used to. That was really weird that one time I did it in the youth service, everybody cried. I'm just kidding. Um, like I'm that person, I'll do anything. I'll jump off the stage and nobody catch me, whatever. I don't care, that's me. But there is a measure beyond that. And it's when you leave this place. There's your answer. There's your answer. See, you might've experienced God in that moment and you knew that he was with you. And the confidence that you can leave this place is that he's with you. But if he's with you, why don't you try talking to him a little bit? If he's with you, why don't you try listening to him a little bit? If he's with you and you're confident that he's with you, why don't you try seeking him a little more? Don't settle for this. This is great. I love this. 
I might go get on the floor in a minute. But man, when I get up and leave, I know that the only way that I get filled and stay filled is through his word. Because this is the primary way that God speaks to me. He's spoken to me in dreams. He spoke to me when I'm on the floor and I fall asleep and drool on the carpet. Not even joking, remember that Johnny? We're somewhere in Las Vegas at a, at a conference. I passed out so hard at the altar, I fell asleep. I was snoring, the dude was preaching and I'm, I'm there on the ground snoring. Drool all over the place. I remember the vision I had too. I'm not gonna tell you cause it was really weird, but I got up like that and he said, welcome to the service brother. And I went and walked and I said, Johnny, why'd you leave me out there? Man, that was a long time ago. Why'd you leave me out there? And he just laughed like he's doing right now. I've been in those moments, but those moments have always caused me to run to his word. Because this is where you get your marching orders. This is where you get your next step. This is where you get the answers to all your questions. You might get touched there. You might get transformed there. You might get healed there, but you'll get your promise right here. You'll get your directions right here. You'll get your life plan right here. So as much as I want revival in the sense that we understand it, what I want more is a revival of truth. What I want more is a revival of God's word. What I want more is to see God move in our lives because we've digested this and it has impacted us in a way that we can only move forward with it and not backward. What did Jesus do when the enemy tempted him? The enemy went down his list, he went down his pattern and Jesus did what Adam and Eve did not. Jesus responded with, but the word of God says, the word of God says, and the word of God says. What are you responding with when you get tempted? Well, I'll just do it today and ask forgiveness tomorrow. You respond to your flesh with more flesh. You respond to your weakness with more weakness. And you respond to your faithlessness with more faithlessness. And what we should be responding with anytime we're tempted is with the word of God and the word of God alone. You're not smart enough to outwit the devil. You're not capable enough to outwit him, to, to slide out from his trap. No, no, no. But you are strong enough by the word of God. You are capable enough through the word of God. You are smart enough through the word of God because if you use the word of God, it'll set you free. If you use the word of God, it'll release you. If you use the word of God, It'll instruct you, it'll guide you, it'll keep you. David wrote about this. He said, your word is a lamp unto my feet and enlightened to my path. Your word gives me 
the direction. Your word shows me where to go. Your word shows me what to avoid. Your word shows me where not to step. Your word shows me the holes. Your word shows me the bricks and the path I should walk on. Your word shows me how much longer. Your word shows me how much farther I've left. Your word shows me everything I need to know because it is the light. It illuminates, it, it, it reveals. And if you let him speak to you through his word, anything is possible and everything can change. Let's stand this morning. God, I pray this morning that we don't simply just go on about life without recognizing who you are in our lives. That we don't just simply go on and not fulfill the calling on our life to minister to preach to reach out to those lord i pray that you would begin to stir in us a hunger for your word that you would begin to stir in us a desire to know you deeper through your word that you would begin to stir in us a passion to read and to study even if we don't get it right away that you would help us you would illuminate it in our minds you would illuminate it in our hearts father god that you would put i pray as we move forward this evening father god we thank you we thank you and Lord, I pray as we move forward that we don't just simply make it another task, but we make it the joy of our day to study. We make it the joy of our day to learn. We make it the joy of our day to read. I'll say this last thing. There's a proverb for every day. The book of Proverbs has 31 Proverbs. There is a proverb for every day of the month. You read one chapter in the book of Proverbs per day, it will completely transform your thinking. The book of Proverbs is called the book of wisdom. And if you read it enough, you get wiser, believe it or not. There is so much truth and so much depth in the book of Proverbs. If you just start there, man, just start there. If you're freshly new and you're, you just got saved, start with the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, then read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, then read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, then read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John again. And then when you're done with reading that, then read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John again. You know why? Because that's all about Jesus. And you'll learn all about Jesus by reading that over and over and over. But man, if you've been in church a while and you've you know been through this a little while, I challenge you, go dive into the book of Proverbs. You will learn so much so fast. It will change you. I'm done. Let's go. Thank you for joining us this week. Our vision is to plant churches that are life-changing. If you would like to support our ministry, you can easily do so by visiting our website, PursuitCC.com. Also, follow us on all social media outlets by using at PursuitCC. Thank you and God bless.